millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And a very good Friday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme. We've sent John Paul away for a few days. He needs to have a break. He needs to have some time off. So he's off uh, for the next uh, couple of days. And Bernie is standing in taking your calls today at 0818 103 103. Anything you want to share with us this morning, give Bernie a call. You can text her WhatsApp as well to 086 103 103. And it's texts and WhatsApps you'll be using later on if you want to take part in our final day today for the Mallow Home and Garden Festival. Actually, it's this day next week. The Mallow Home and Garden Festival Day 1 will be under at way. And of course, today, at the end of the week, we're giving away a Parma Rotten Modular Sofa Set. But we need to have one more qualifier. We've had four people qualify across the week. One more qualifier and then we'll make a draw before the close of the programme and one of our listeners will win that Parma Rotten Modular Sofa Set thanks to the gang at the Mallow Garden Festival on in the Cork Racecourse May 27th, 28th and 29th with C103. So stay listening for that. Fuel prices have once again risen to the record high of €2 a litre. And I have to say, as I was heading to work this morning, I saw the first garage with a diesel on sale gone over the two euro mark it was a two euro and two cent could not believe it and while the you know, fuel prices are rising a lot of the papers are picking up on our story from yesterday with Sergeant John Kelly as part of our crime file where John was talking about petrol stations need to be vigilant because of drive off thefts at the pumps and there's a fear now because we've already seen some in the North Cork area there's a fear now that this is going to spread around the country with people saying not paying those kind of prices and you'll have criminals saying right going to move in going to fill up my car and I'm going to take off and even though when I was making the point to Sergeant John Kelly that you know surely the majority of garages have CCTV many of them are using false number plates so unfortunately the car can't be traced and you'd have to feel for any garage that would have drive offs because they're not making a lot as it is on the price of uh, petrol even though uh, people always seem to point the finger blame as if it's the garage owner's fault and unfortunately it's not. We've got inflation at a four year high 7% and the Tonish Tadir of Radcliffe saying yesterday that people are feeling the pinch. 
it's more than a pinch. He said a lot of people are struggling and they were the words out of Leo Varadkar's mouth yesterday. Diesel prices are now more than 40% higher than what we were paying this time last year and petrol is 24% higher and then the big one is the home heating oil that's now running at 90% higher than what we were paying this time last year. And the Irish Daily Mail this morning reporting that one station in the capital yesterday charging over the two euro mark. They were at two euro and four cent for diesel yesterday. But uh, prices are hovering around the one euro ninety nine cent. And that seems to be common across the country. And it seems to be now getting common for both petrol and diesel. So that two euro a litre mark is certainly going to be breached I think over the coming days AA Ireland have been warning the fuel prices were heading towards the two euro mark and this is a return to the record prices that was last witnessed in March of this year so we didn't really get that much of a respite and my Sergeant John Kelly yesterday was warning about the drive offs being reported in the North Cork area. He also spoke about the theft of home heating oil and the Gardaí now are issuing a, a warning home homeowners that we everybody needs to be careful because they're fearful that there may be a rise during the summer of the theft. This is of home heating oil and that's obviously due to the rising prices and increased demand and with the price of oil soaring, thieves are seeking to take advantage and you know it's almost it's becoming like liquid gold. Uh, oil prices are rising so sharply that oil tanks now are being uh, targeted and independent uh, Doll Deputy Verona Murphy, who we spoke with actually a couple of weeks ago um, on the price, the rising price of fuel, because she, of course, was a former head of the Irish Road Haulage Association. She's speaking in the papers today saying that people who used fuel on a commercial basis have taken every security precaution possible against theft because they know it's liable to ha- happen. The Wexford TD says she has seen the price of fuel go above two euro a litre in the past week and she said she's seen it in many places but she especially has seen it in rural Ireland and Gardaí say that the recent fuel thefts in busy residential areas are unusual as usually these type of robberies typically happen in isolated properties and in very rural areas but they've started to see in home heating oil that's happening in residential areas. So Gardaí warning homeowners to secure as best you can your home heating oil. It's thought, there is a thought pattern that the thieves may be monitoring the deliveries to identify the targets. Verona Murphy said reducing the price of fuel would be the single biggest thing that the government could do to address the cost of living crisis in this country. Um, She said they need to take a gamble here. She said they need to take serious emergency action. Reducing the price of the litre of fuel may not have been something we'd have done before the war in Ukraine. But because the war is here, she said we need to take necessary national safety measures. And she says for her, it would safeguard Ireland's uh, economy. And she feels what needs to be done, that they need to take away the excise duty on fuel. Now, she's saying just remove the tax on a day by day week by week basis she said she's not saying remove it forever but she's saying remove it as an emergency measure 
keep an eye on it until we know that the price of the barrel of oil has stabilised now the price of fuel is in line what people can afford so it will be kind of a moving feast the excise duty would be there for a period of time and then if the price of the barrel of oil went down the excise duty would come come back and it would almost stabilise I suppose the cost of uh, fuel she says we're driving the country into a recession she said if you continue to allow the cost of fuel to rise then you allow the cost of living to rise exponentially if you can't control the price of fuel the cost of everything goes up and you know she makes the point we are an island everything that gets onto this island or moves around this island has to be fuelled. Leo Varadkar uh, was under pressure yesterday in the Dáil, particularly from Sinn Féin, to address the government's commitment to easing the cost of living with inflation expected now to hit 9% in the coming months. Leo Varadkar said the government has provided $2.4 billion so far in relief, but he added that they continue to work on other proposals and what they seem to be trying to target now is the rising cost of childcare and they're also looking at public transport to see if they can lower prices there. He says a lot of the inflationary pressures are beyond the control of the government. I mean for sure they can't control the cost of the barrel of oil but they can't control the amount of excise duty that they put on to the oil when it's sold on to us. But he said at least the Irish government uh, because they are driven by international factors there are certain things they can and can't do. Now the Transport Minister Eamon Ryan by the way did confirm yesterday that the reduction in excise duty, remember the 20 cent on petrol and the 15 cent on uh, diesel. Remember they took that off. So back in March they did it when the petrol prices went so high and when we were fearful of diesel going over the two euro mark. Uh, That was due to end on the end of August but he said yesterday now it's expected that that's going to be extended until budget day because when you think of diesel where I saw it at two euro and two cent this morning if the excise duty was still at the top price that it was at there would have been an extra 20 cent onto that so it would have been two euro and 22 cent then an extra 15 uh, or 15 cent on the 20 cent on the petrol it would be an extra 15 cent so it would have been two euro and 17 uh, cent so at least they've said look we'll leave that in place at least until uh, budget day and of course yesterday the doll while they were sitting outside of the gates of the doll the emphasis was very much on the cost of living and there was demonstrators who gathered outside the doll protesting over the high cost of living and they were represented by I saw it on the news last night wide lots of different groups were there senior citizens were there students were there and workers were there all staging the protest over they were look, they were talking about things like the cost of housing the cost of college fees the cost of health and the cost of uh, healthcare and I heard one of the Union of Students of Ireland saying that some students have been forced to choose between buying materials for college and um, food and heating it has got so bad for students and actually just on the hauliers you know when I mentioned that Verona Murphy used to be the head of the Irish Road Haulage in fairness to the government let's give them credit where credit is due they have tried to give hauliers some kind of assistance they introduced the licensed haulage emergency support scheme and that's a payment of €100 per week available for eight weeks for every heavy goods vehicle over three and a half uh, tonnes that was listed on road haulage operators licence as of the 11th of uh, March 
stage and it seems so far 13 million euro has been paid out under that to over 2,800 operators but I just see in a story uh, this morning that those who haven't yet applied for the assistance they have decided to extend the application period so that they can make every the government can make every effort possible to contact the operators to allow them more time to apply and they've extended the completed applications has been extended to the 6th of June so any licensed haulage uh, company listening if you haven't applied for that and you do have vehicles over three and a half tonnes then please do apply it's a payment of 100 euro per week available for eight weeks 0818 103 103 Bernie's taking your calls this morning you can text her whatsapp to 0862 103 103 some of your thoughts coming in, particularly on the rising cost of fuel. Uh, Tim and Bandon says diesel is only 199.9 cent per litre in one filling station in Bandon. I wonder what it is in the other filling stations because uh, certainly we're starting to see the two euro mark now in more and more places. Micah says, Patricia, I was up the up the northwest for the past week and during my sojourn, I particularly noticed that once I left left County Cork, the price of fuel dropped. The norm was €1.90, perhaps €1.91 was very rare. Hurley's Cross, just as you enter Limerick, was the dearest, rocketing to €2, but the forecourt was empty, which normally has a queue of trucks and cars. Obviously, people are watching and shopping around. I got diesel and burr on my way back for €1.90. Now, Michael says somebody making a lot of cash, but the garage owners will say they sell it for what they buy it in at, and because it's fluctuating every single day, and with every single order every time an order comes in the price changes on the forecourt Hi Patricia thank you for that Michael and hope you had a nice trip our way up the country One of our petrol stations here in South Kilkenny we have to pay before we fill up and that was the suggestion that Sergeant John Kelly reckons if there is an increase in more of these drive-offs at petrol stations that's what you will find more and more garages doing. John says, Patricia, it's a change of government we need. Let's give Mary Lou a chance. Uh, let's see what she can do instead. Hi, Patricia. I've seen a few garages that petrol is now already hit the two. The, the petrol has hit the two euro mark and the diesel is under the two euro mark at one euro ninety five. So petrol now has swung back around and is more expensive in some garages than uh, diesel. I totally agree with Independent All Deputy Verona Murphy. Something will have to be done with fuel prices as everything in this country is run by fuel. Leo will need to learn that public transport is not great in this country. Not everybody works nine to five. Lots of people work shift work uh, where public transport won't be available to them. And as I always say, when you're talking about public transport, it's grand if you're living in the middle of a big city. Certainly grand if you're living in Dublin you've got lots of choices when it comes to pub- public transport but if you're living on out on one of the peninsulas there isn't as much public transport available to you for sure so when the government are talking about lowering the cost of public transport it's only available to the people that has public transport is of no use to people in rural uh, areas and um, thank you for your text and hi uh, Trish uh, on home heating oil now I usually cut down the briars around my oil tank every spring. But after hearing Sergeant John Kelly on your programme yesterday, I decided I'm going to leave the weeds to grow 
around my oil tank. It'll act as camouflage. I only have one problem now. It's been completely empty since last August. I can't afford to fill it up now with the prices and the way they have gone. It's gone up. Murphy's Law. You're not on your own on that one uh, for sure. Thank you for your text. 0818 103 103. Bernie taking your calls. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 0818 103 103. Now this week the Taoiseach asked Cork County Council to have a heart in relation to the Piper's Showman's Wagon in Kinsale. The issue was raised by Cork South Westall Deputy Christopher O'Sullivan ahead of a gathering in solidarity with the Piper family this weekend in Kinsale. With the latest on this story I'm once again joined by local Fianna Fáil Councillor Sean O'Donovan. Good morning to you Sean. And you're very welcome. Now, I I spoke with you last Tuesday week, along with uh, Brendan Piper on this programme about the issue. And the story has really gained a lot of support since then, hasn't it? It has. It has indeed. Um, A lot of support coming out for it. The petition online is up to well over 2,000. A lot of press, I suppose, around it and a lot of support for the Piper family. Which is great. It's, it's, it's terrific for the family. I think it, it it really is. Okay, where is the the wagon at the moment? The wagon was taken from Kinsale and it's in one of the Piper's family home out in West Cork at the moment. Okay, they moved it themselves, didn't they? They did. And the family and it seems the rest of uh, Kinsale, everybody wants it back on short key. I mean, that's the solution to the, to this. It is, it is. I suppose that's where it has been since 1932. So, um, as I said in the last time when I was talking to it, it's part of the historical tour and stuff in Kinsale. So, I suppose people want to see it back where it always has been. Were you glad to see the Taoiseach lent his support? Um, I, I was, I suppose, yeah. But I'm not sure how much weight it'll, it'll carry, being honest with you. But it's, I suppose it's good that he's supporting it as well, you know. I just hope that a solution can be found between the family, the Piper family and uh, Cork County Council. Now the council's defence is that they always charged just a, a modest rent to the Piper family but they're now looking for increases over the next number of years but they say that the increases they are looking for are still below commercial rents that would be pay, paid by ratepayers. Do the council have a point? Um. I suppose they do on one side, but on the other side, I suppose this is a business that hasn't traded with, with the last three years because of COVID. Um, and I really think they deserve a break. Uh, the rent the rent is after increasing, well, will increase for the next number of years. But I suppose the point is at the end of the, the three-year term is that the lease will be terminated and won't be, uh, the, the fund fair won't be allowed into Shortkey or not into the Tom Park, sorry. Um, and they'll have to find an alternative venue in Kinsale if they want to set up, but there's no venue there, basically, you know. So they'll just be forced out of business. So this would really be the beginning of the end? It would. It would, absolutely. And and also, even though, you know, it's, according to the council, it's small amount of money. I mean, I take it the funfair isn't a licence to print money that if they, even if Piper's decided that they would pay the rents that have been charged by the council, would it make it on the funfair almost financially unviable? I think it would, for sure, but the price of the insurance of the funfair, it's, it's a huge amount of money, um, up around somewhere around 20,000, I oh. believe. And so by the time the insurance is paid up front, and, you know, it, it all depends on the weather then for the summer, 
if it's a wet summer, they they make a lot basically, you know, which they have in other years. So like they have got no grant financing, no support from government during COVID because um, because they weren't entitled to any grants. Um, and I really believe it's part of the heritage and part of our history and there should be some sort of a heritage grant or something, you know, for a business like this that has been around so long. And that's what the council should be considering. It's the heritage side of I this. I believe so. It's, some, of, some of the rides and stuff that they have there, like are, some of them are original paintings, original pieces. Like So I'm sure a museum would be glad to, to grab them and put them in on display if, if they had the opportunity, you know. Um, and it is part of the heritage. It's part of the history of Kinsale and every family I think in and, and surrounding towns of Bandon and Kilbritton and all that have been there during the summer and have used the the Marys, you know, it's a traditional fun fair and it's unusual compared to the modern ones we say like Funderland or whatever now, you know. Yeah, we had even people who were contacting us from the UK to say when they used to come home and visit as children, when they'd come home to visit say grandparents or aunts or uncles, you know, a trip to the Marys was very much part of their family holiday. It was, it was indeed. And I think I think Piper's were unique because I know I've had several, several people contact me saying they went down there like and you know, the kids would have their few euros or whatever to go on the rides, but like Billy was such a, a nice man to them, like he'd let them on for as long as they wanted and there was no there was no extra charge and stuff, you yeah. know. So he wasn't the greatest businessman for making money. <laughs> no, but he he just loves children and he loves yeah. tradition, I suppose, and you know, like to see the kids having a good time there, you know. Tell me what's planned for Sunday, Sean. So Sunday at three o'clock on Short Key, there's um, a gathering in solidarity with the Piper family. Um, I presume that I hope there'll be big numbers turn out there to, to support the family. Um, I'm not organising that. It's it's um, a group of people in Kinsale are, are organising it. So I suppose it's just to show support from the people that that they're behind the Piper family. Yeah, and just to get the message through to Cork County Council if they needed yeah. to get to get a message uh, through. And Sean, are you hopeful that the council will have a heart and change their minds on this one? I'm hopeful that a solution will be found, Patricia, whether whether we'd say the, the showman's wagon will be left in short key and the fun fair thing go back to the town park for the summers. I'm not sure, but maybe if we could get one over the other, but we're certainly going to be trying for the two to get the, the showman's wagon in short key and the fun fair back into the town park for years to come. Will it be discussed again at a council meeting? It will. Yeah. It will. We're having our local MD meeting on Tuesday morning um, and we'll be discussing it at that again. OK, OK. You're, you're fighting the good fight uh, for sure. All right, Sean, listen, thank you for that. You're very welcome. And uh, thanks uh, for joining us. That is uh, local band and Kinsale councillor, county councillor, Sean O'Donovan. And I, I spotted this in, you know, the letters to the editor page in the Echo during the week. And I thought this really summed up, beautifully summed up somebody who's got great way with words. Uh, Adrian Acton, now now living in McCroom, but grew up and was living in Kinsale. And she felt so strongly when she heard this story about the Piper's Fun Fair and the th- thought that it would be gone from Kinsale that she wrote a letter to the editor of the, of the Echo and it's worth reading. It says, if you're getting rid of the showman's wagon and Piper's Fun Fair in Kinsale, why don't they cover the lock in concrete for an apartment block while they're at it? Tear down the Castle Demise in McCroom for a car park, maybe. Why not remove the fountain on Grand Parade, seeing as it's not paying rent, and remove the beacon in Baltimore to make way for holiday rental Airbnbs 
families. If this saga has taught us anything, it is that when it comes to saving a legacy, preserving precious memories or passing the beauty of our innocent childhoods onto the next generation, it comes a very poor second to money. How many times did one of us Kinsale girls go up to Mr Piper and tell him the boys are picking on us only to watch him give one of his glares so that they could see the guilty so we could see the guilty boys scatter. How many of us went and stood in front of the wagon steps to tell him we'd fallen out with our best friend only to hear him say how happy he was when we told him we'd made up not even 10 minutes later. Certainly nobody in Cork County Council that seems sure. As a child I always wondered how those tall and broad broad men the Pipers could be so gentle of heart and kind in manner. Several years ago I brought my own small child to meet Brendan Piper and have a go on the Merrys. He gave me a wink and gave my son a few extra passes on the bumper cars. Memories are made of this. We all grow up at the same pace. Every town and village has a symbol that represents the generations that grew up there. A symbol that links us to each other. But in Kinsale, a legacy that should be handed down to the next generation of locals and visitors has been shunned for the sake of money again. The removal of the showman's wagon from the short quay is an extremely emotive issue. Over recent years, local people have stood up and watched housing estates spring up everywhere in the name of progress. Apartment blocks fall from the sky like an ugly albatross in your eyeline. Local people stood by because it was progress. It was money to the town. It was necessary. But this is different. This is tearing at the fabric of what makes a hometown so special to each one of us. Piper's Funfair is like another sibling. It's like another friend that you hung out with and that you learned from. It's one of the few bastions left in the town that is barely recognisable to those of us that grew up there. This hurts people. The removal of the showman's caravan and the Mary's not being there for the summer is indicative of a council that cares little for the amazing locals that created this tourist hub. Thread carefully, politicians, because this will be remembered for a long time to come. This piece of history will die hard long after you've stood on the doorstep looking for a vote. And that's from Adrian Acton, now living in McCroom, about a native of Kinsale. I think very well put together a letter. 0818 103 103. Bernie, taking your calls. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 2103 103. Jersey Islanders and farmers who have been without access to the West Cork Island for the past seven weeks are to finally get a temporary ferry service. While the news is welcomed, is it enough for people who live and work full time on the island? Joseph Sullivan, who farms on Jersey but lives on the mainland, was first to raise his concerns about access to the island earlier this year on the programme with us and uh, we've invited him to join us once again on the programme. Good morning to you Joseph. Good morning Patricia. Now I'm very well. I suppose to fill people in the service is to operate from today. Can you just talk us through how often the ferry now will run? Um, from what we're led to believe Patricia the ferry is to run three days a week. Uh, it's going to run apparently on uh, a Friday, a Saturday and a Monday. But the crux in the conditions are it's going to be an hour before high water and an hour after high water. So for the three days a week and for the running that's being paid out apparently, we're only getting two hours a day. That's six hours in the week of, of a ferry service. So if somebody wants to leave the island who has business, a hospital appointment, a doctor's appointment, 
they'd have to stay over. They'd have to go out on a Friday, stay overnight, and come back on Saturday. They would, and depending if they if they want to go on a Monday for a Tuesday appointment, they might not get in till the following Friday. I mean, we had a, we had a scenario where a local gentleman on the island, a man over eighty years of age, could not get in when the when the cable car closed last time. He spent four or five nights in Castlecombeer at a cost to himself at ninety euros a night. So I mean, that was very very unfair on that man. I really and truly have to say my heart goes out for him. It's very, very unfair to have to fork out that kind of money from his own pocket just because he couldn't get back to his home. Ah, and for an elderly man like that, it wouldn't it probably wouldn't have a lot of spare cash either to be able to afford that. Very few families actually today would be able to afford that. And, and the cable car ceased operating on the 1st of April. Se- seven weeks ago. Seven weeks, yeah. And we're still left high and dry. To be honest, Patricia, we feel like the forgotten people of Ireland. There's no two ways about it. I mean, it, it's like they put Dursley Island in some sort of a mini lockdown. They're trying to keep us either from getting there or keep the few people that are on there honest. That's what it feels like. And how but have people been coping over the seven weeks? It's tough going. I mean, myself and my father, we've been going back and forth two to three days a week. and I'm only getting half a day at each time. We, we go on, on my own boat. We travel back and forth. We, we, we bought shopping for some of our neighbours and I mean it's tough going I mean everyone that comes and goes has to get about a week to ten days worth of shopping and, and hope for the best we've all we've all been trying as hard as we can we're all trying to help each other as best we can I mean, some of my neighbours look after my livestock while I can't get in I'll be shopping in for them then in return and we, look, we all do our best we work together as best we can that's all we can do So is the ferry of even on the days it's running, is it of any use to you? Sure, it's of, it's of little use. If you want to go to Dursley Island and stay there, well and good, but if you want to get off, you mightn't be able to get on. I mean, for me, it's not not really a whole pile of use. I mean, I, I have to go to work five days a week. And I mean, it, it, it's a very limited use. If I go in in the morning, or in, I, I can't get back off again. There's no two ways about it because I'll have more than two hours worth of farming to do. I mean, I have cattle on the far end of Dorothy Island. I have to bring water to them. There's no water available naturally during the summer months and when the weather is dry. That's going to take me much longer than two hours to do. Much longer than two hours. Yeah, so the ferries have no... Absolutely, it might as well not be there is is what you're saying. Also, any indication why, even with this temporary ferry, why did it take seven weeks to put it in, in place? Like, we've known that the cable car was was going to close on the 1st of April. Why has it taken this long? Well, in the first instance, there was a preferred tenderer um, got got the job as a ferry. Attack. And during the course of about 10 to 14 days after after that, then, after this person was announced as the preferred tenderer, that tender fell through because they, they could not get a relevant licence to operate from the peers. So they had to re-advertise again the second time, and and get um, and get a new tenderer to, to bring us back and forth. I mean, we, we've been promised a ferry every week for the last three weeks in particular, and nothing's shown up yet. Today is the first day that we were told it would run, but the sea conditions are by far too rough today. So it won't we, run? No, not at all. No. It may not run until the start of next week, and next week is looking, but can go at the best. It, it's giving up to three metres of a swell for a lot of days next week. I mean, you're not you're not going to come near Dorothy Islands for a lot of days next week. And the that. promise of the ferry going back when we knew that the cable was going to have to close so the repairs could be done and all of that. 
and there was this promise of a ferry. Did did everybody on the island assume that it would be a full time service, or do they hope it would be a full time service? Oh, we we assumed that the hours of the cable car would be replaced like for like, or as close as possible. To that end, I mean, the cable car runs seven days a week, winter and summer. There's no hassle, no problem with it. We understand that the weather conditions in the sea are going to play a big part in this, and tides as well. And um, yeah, we assumed that we'd, we'd get a seven day a week service. Just as good as any other island off the coast. I mean, Bear Island has a seven-day service, and they're not so far from us. Quiddy has a seven-day service, and so on. Mm. You can go up and down the west coast. It's, they all have, have brilliant services. We we just want the same as what they have. Whether whether more funding has to be uh, applied for, or or whatever the case may be, surely that's not beyond the realms of possibility. Yeah, and it's it it is only for a a temporary period of time it's not that you were talking about in five years time we're going to be talking about the cost of this ferry it's only why the repairs have been done to the cable car correct yeah that's correct I mean um, they were granted I think a thousand euros a day for 240 days I mean that's a serious quack of money but look in, in, in the bigger terms it's not going to go on like you said Patricia for five years it's just going to be until the cable car yeah, it's, not, it's not in, in, indefinitely it's, God, it is really like uh, people on Dursey are the forgotten people and I also am thinking you know you're talking about you bring the bit of shopping out or, or, or whatever if, if somebody runs out of something that's they've got to wait for somebody to bring the, the bit of food out to them they have yeah they have I mean depending on the weather we mightn't be able to get there ourselves myself for one or, or, or neighbours we might not be able to get there by board I, if I can't get there to do my farming there's no hope of getting there shopping across none, none whatsoever I, I mean it's tough going and people that want to go and get collect their pensions on a Friday or something it, it, it can't be done there's there's no hope there's their their social life is non-existent so it, it's very isolating it's very very unfair on people yeah, and, and I dread to even think of a medical emergency, Joseph, and I'm sure that's at the back of people's minds, those who live on the island. It is. I mean, if you fell going on the field, if anything happened to you moving livestock or anything or any medical emergency, you, you'd have to be able to ring the emergency services yourself and you, you would be looking for a helicopter. There's no, there's no two ways or four ways about it. That's the only way to get after the island rapidly. There's no two ways about it. Do you believe it'll be a very different and probably difficult summer this this year on Dursey Island? Um, I hope it won't, but I think it will. It's probably the best way of putting it because if we don't get a fine summer and if we don't get a reasonable service, it is going to be next to impossible to get. It's going to be life extremely hard for us. Yeah, and people have had a tough, uh, a tough. And would you get many tourists going out to Dursey? You wouldn't be Patricia. You would get at least twenty to twenty-five thousand, probably closer to twenty-five thousand a year, every year with the last number of years, last several years. So I mean, it's it's a lot of people. It's a huge spin-off. I mean, the roads are so quiet here now. No, nobody's coming to the to Dorsey Island. They know the cable car is closed. Yeah. And the roads are quieter. Businesses are quieter. B and B's. Everything is quieter. Petrol stations. You name it. The spin-off is huge. And that was only the people that were travelling on the cable car. You could easily say there'd be another fifteen thousand people just don't go on the cable car. They come for a spin, they see the views and they'll head off home again. They'll yeah, head off yeah. yeah, people will just, will, will just avoid it. Um, all right, okay. Uh, and have, are you on to local politicians? Is anybody working to try to get this, to at least get the ferry service extended in some way? 
There is, there is. I, I, I've spoken with local politicians at length on this. I spoke uh, at length with, with um, the Collins brothers, and they've been very, very helpful, I have to say. I spoke at length with, with both of those, and uh, in, in fairness, uh, they are trying their hardest. I know other politicians have been trying their very best as well, but look, we, we, we just have to keep the pressure on. We, yeah. we have to go for more funding. Uh, the, and if that, if, if, as they say, it isn't it isn't indefinitely, it's just for a set period of time. Okay, uh, Joseph, we'll check in with you again. In the meantime, look after yourself and uh, thanks a million for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me, Patricia. I appreciate it so much. Thank Good you morning to you. Bye-bye. Joseph Sullivan uh, there who farms on Jersey, lives on the mainland, but one of the people caught up with that, just a temporary ferry service, which was to kick off today, but uh, sea conditions say differently. 0818 103 103. Some of your thoughts and comments uh, coming in. Ross picking up on our piece about the Piper's Showman's Wagon and the future of the Merrys in Kinsale. And, and in a way also tying in with what we spoke about with the Jersey cable car and we know it will be back up and running, but it's very much part of the heritage of uh, Jersey Island. Uh, Ross is just wondering when people, who who are the powers that be that make the decisions when they're planning for our, vi- for our villages and towns going forward. It seems like we seem to be destroying our, na- our Irish heritage and we're doing it sort of almost in the name of progress. But sometimes people don't always feel that it is uh, progress. And just thank you for that, Ross. Just on the Jersey Island, uh, Councillor Declan Hurley, thank you, Declan, for your uh, WhatsApp. Oh, by the way, also sent in a WhatsApp earlier uh, to say Happy World B Day. Who knew it was World B Day today? Hi, Patricia. The uh, elected members of Cork County Council, obviously, have had numerous heated debates about the Jersey cable car and the provision of adequate ferry services. We've been told that due to EU procurement rules, Cork County Council is obliged to run an EU tender competition for the medium term provision of a service, i.e. up to year end. This EU procurement, I'm having a problem saying that word today, process has commenced and it'll take roughly two months to complete. It's a typical example of red tape bureaucracy slowing everything down, says Councillor Declan Hardy and it is one of the downsides at times. There's been a lot of positives of EU membership but sometimes all of the bureaucracy that goes with with it and the red tape can really delay uh, things. Uh, Thank you for that uh, Declan. Michael in Castletown Bear. Uh, Patricia, with regards to Cork County Council and the debacle in Kinsale with the Piper family I think the council are wrong and that Micheál Martin was right when he told them to have a heart but always remember that the late infamous Charles J. Hawhey once said it was far easier to control the government than to control Cork County Council it speaks for itself I wonder what the context of that was Michael I'll have to do a bit of searching around on that this afternoon I didn't realise that that was a quote from Charles J. Hawhey but thank you for that Hi uh, Patricia, this is on the cable cars and the work that's going on on the cable cars for Jersey Island. Tom and Bantry reckons the pylons that hold the cable car, car, they should have been made up in advance and been ready uh, when they were needed. There was no forward thinking and that's what's because it's, it's going to be November, isn't it, before the cable car is back up and running It's and it closed down on the 1st of April and that's with everything going according uh, to plan. So if they've done some forward planning according to Tom and to have the pylons ready so that when the cable car then closed they're ready to move in and I'm assuming Tom as a man in the know would have speeded up the process and John in Cove on the Piper's showman 
wagon and the Marys. He reckons corporate greed is the same in the town of Cove. They're trying to close the public right of way at the water's edge and at the deep water quay. And John is very much against that. But he also does point out that massive works are now going on at St. Coleman Cemetery in Cove. And he's thankful to us because we highlighted the neglect of the cemetery and a bit of publicity around it has now led to massive works going on at St. Coleman Cemetery in Cove. So John, delighted to hear that progress has been made there. Thank you for that. Still people commenting on petrol prices. Mary and Mallow was on. Say, Patricia, petrol prices seem to be going up a few times a week. Surely garages are not getting deliveries a few times a week. Well, actually, the garage that I use and the one I pass on, on the way to work, this week alone, on two of the mornings, just while I was passing, I saw uh, deliveries. And that's not to say that there wasn't deliveries at other times during the day as well. It depends on how busy the garage is. If you've got a very busy garage, uh, I know, for example, garages in Dublin, they can have deliveries more than once a day. Now, obviously, people would say, well, they would. They're in Dublin and if they're in a very busy area. But if it's a very busy garage, yes, they do have more than one, certainly more than one uh, delivery week. And every time there's a delivery, the garage buys it in at a certain price and then that will determine how much they'll sell it on for and obviously there's the excise duty in the VAT and all of that and that's why the prices fluctuate and go up and uh, down. And some examples of petrol prices still coming in to us. Um, oh, thank you. The listener in Bandon, Tim, was this Tim in Bandon was back on. He got his digits wrong when he was telling us the price of a litre of diesel in one filling station in Bandon is at one ninety point nine. He had initially typed in 199.9, 190.9. That's doing well because a lot of garages, if they're not already at the two euro mark, two euro mark are certainly getting very close to it. And somebody's just passed a garage in Liscarroll and for diesel, 187.9. That's what we should be doing. We should be looking rather than the dearest because we know so many are going over or getting hovering close to the two euro mark. We should be calling out the garages that have petrol at a lower price and because uh, we're always told to do that and the AA have always told us to, to do that we need to shop, you know, shop around we shouldn't be going to the same garage every time to fill up our petrol you need to be keeping an eye on the four courts and if you see a price that's lower and, and you need because that only works if you need petrol at the time uh, fill up then thank you there's some whatsapps into 0862 103 103 and Damien from Mallow was on to us to say he's applied for his first passport he applied six weeks ago no sign of it yet. He applied through the express route. See, I wonder, is there even such a thing as an express route anymore? He needs it for identification, not for travel. But he is six weeks waiting. So I did a quick check during the news to see what, is, what are the current turnaround times. And this is for first time passports. They're saying that the current estimated turnaround is eight weeks but they can't even guarantee that it is eight weeks. And the advice that's still coming from the Department of Foreign Affairs who issued the passport is, now this isn't in Damien's case, but for everybody else, do not under any circumstances book flights until you have your passport in your hand. Um, and they also say that once you've made a paper-based application, it cannot normally be expedited and they cannot return your support, your supporting documentation uh, to you. And of course, all the advice is, is to make sure that when you do submit your passport, that you've got everything correct. And the delay does seem to be with first-time passports. I know certainly if you're just renewing a passport and you're doing it online, turnaround for that is very quick quick indeed and we've had lots of examples whenever we mention passports of somebody saying I applied online on Monday and I had it back 
it was through my letterbox on the Wednesday or the Thursday of the following week. That's for straightforward renewals. But for Damien, he's applying for the first time. And I know with families applying for children's passports for this for the first time, it is having huge, huge, there's huge delays on it. I was only uh, speaking with somebody, a family member of mine and one of her in-laws had two holidays cancelled. They're trying to get passports for two of their children and there's just ongoing delays. And the other tip that we recently gave out to people on a first-time passport where you have to go to the Garda station and get it, it was actually Councillor Declan Hurley who I mentioned there on the WhatsApp because he spoke to us about it and you have to get it stamped at the Garda station. Make sure that you go to a Garda station that's manned ideally 24 hours a day uh, because the passport office has to ring that Garda station to verify that you went in and that it's in the book the passport book and that's causing delays for people as well so Damien six weeks they're saying the current turnaround is eight weeks so you have another two weeks to wait to wait but you're saying you don't need it for travel you need it for identification uh, could you go to the Garda station and get one of the Garda ID cards they can be used for identification as well I don't know if that's of any any use uh, to you rather than you know going out with with your passport every time for identification that might be worth looking at particularly if you're stuck and really trying to get uh, some some way to have photographic ID certainly the Garda the Garda ID card that you can only apply for when you are 18 so you might look into that Damien if that's of any use to you 0818103103 Bernie's taking your calls and I have an answer for Jim who'd contacted us earlier in the week who was asking if an old age pensioner decided to offer a room to a Ukrainian refugee, now that we know that people who are open up their homes to Ukrainian refugees will be getting an extra four, well, they'd be given 400 euro per month towards the cost of electricity and food and everything else. You know, bills will go up if you've got an extra person or persons in your home. And Jim was wondering, would that affect their pension entitles into the future? Or would it affect things like a living alone allowance or the fuel allowance or anything that is means tested? Well, that has finally now been clarified uh, because there was an announcement made yesterday by the Social Protection Minister Heather uh, Humphreys and she's actually she was specifically talking about empty nesters people are living in a house on their own they can now earn up to €14,000 a year renting out rooms without it in any way affecting their pension or any of their social welfare entitles it's expected to benefit students and others caught up in the accommodation crisis because this isn't just aimed at people taking in Ukrainian refugees. Uh, the, this €14,000 a year for renting out a room also covers the €400 a month for hosting uh, refugees. Uh, everybody across the board, she says, will, will benefit from the announcement she made yesterday. She's bringing in a disregard of €14,000 in earnings for those on social welfare payments so they can earn up to 14000 and it won't impact them. She feels that it will encourage people, particularly older people, who may be living alone and the so-called empty nesters, living in a big house, there's extra bedrooms there, they may have a, a bit of space. She thinks it might encourage some of them to bring somebody into the house to live with them. And she said they can do it now with confidence that it isn't going to impact in any way on their social wel- welfare uh, payments. And she says it's all about removing back barriers. She added that the measure was obviously targeted for those who are planning to bring Ukrainians into the home but because the state didn't want people thinking that such a a generous move would affect their living alone allowance or their fuel allowance. That's why she came out and made the statement yesterday. She said it won't happen if you bring somebody into your home on that basis. 
everything will continue as normal. And she went on to say that they want to encourage people to bring people into their homes if that's not forcing anyone. They're saying if that's what suits you. And so she said one barrier and she knows that one barrier was the fear that people might lose their entitlements and certainly we would have had calls in from people, particularly those that get the living alone allowance saying, you know, I have an extra two bedrooms. I'd love the idea of having company but, you know, I rely on the money. I rely on my living alone allowance. It's a little bit extra every week and I would be fearful I would lose it. Well, Heather Humphrey saying now you won't. She said the barrier has been taken away. They're going to allow people to keep their living alone allowance, keep their fuel allowance and keep all of their other household benefits package. Now, the exemption applies across the board to all who might avail of spare accommodation with blanket exemptions of the money earned by householders, whether it's a new housemate or whether it's a refugee, a student, a separated person or anybody else. Now, they're not this isn't the way it's going to be for, for forever. They are putting it in place on a 12 month basis first and then it will be reviewed again in 12 months at time. And before the announcement, a householder would have lost, immediately lost a living alone allowance if anybody came to uh, live with them, whether regardless of if they were getting money or not. And that would have included a refugee uh, as well. And now they've also, of course, announced 400 euro per month as well. She's hoping that because that 400 euro to take in a refugee has been put in place he's hoping more people will take up the offer and will will consider opening up their homes and she's encouraging people take a look at it and she said for older people it might just be that extra bit of company in the house that will allow them to do that so she's saying to people you know stop and think maybe you'd never thought about it before but maybe you are lonely at night and maybe you'd like the idea of having a little bit of company but she's in particular saying maybe you would consider taking in a Ukrainian refugee knowing that your social welfare entitlements won't now change in any way and then someone else was saying when is that 400 euro due to be paid the last time I checked it because obviously legislation has to be put in place for it it will be backdated though I can tell you that they've they've definitely said it's going to be backdated it's looking at it's going to be July before the actual payment starts to trickle down to uh, families but if you've already taken in a Ukrainian refugee as I say your first payment will be a backdated one but it's July I can't see it uh, before that because of the legislation that's needed for it 0818 103 103 C103 Jobs With Munster Technological University enhance your career prospects with MTU's range of full time part time and professional courses succeeding together with MTU.ie Experience 360 Excavator Drive wanted for Ashgrove Recycling there in Churchfield Industrial Estate CVs to info at ashgroverecycling.ie Production operators wanted for weekday and weekend shifts that's in Alps in Mill Street call 029 70677 Part-time staff nurse required for immediate start at Maria Goretti Nursing Home that's in Kilmallock CVs and a cover letter please to admin at mgnh.com .ie. And a HGV driver is wanted for Kelco Transport. They're based in Mill Street. Shane is your contact at 029 70296. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Call 
Patricia with your comment. 0818 103 103. Now there are high hopes that a planned memorial in Leadville, Colorado dedicated to the lives of over 1,000 miners, many of whom came from the Beira Peninsula could be officially opened by the US President himself, Mr Joe Biden. To fill us in on the background to this memorial, an incredible story about these men. I'm joined by the man who is responsible for the sculpture and that's County Wicklow-based engineer Terry Brennan. Good morning to you, Terry. Good morning. And thank you so much for taking time out to talk to us. Now, we've th- to get the background to this story, we have to go back to the Alihees copper mines. I suppose firstly how did you discover the story about the miners who left that area and headed to the States? Um, 20 years ago um, I was in the Rocky Mountains. We were setting up a business in Denver and my wife and two children came with me and we hired a car and went off up to the Rocky Mountains and were in a place that had some hot springs in it. And I don't know what we were doing, sitting in a swimming pool halfway up a, um, a, a semi-active volcano. But anyway, <laughs> we survived along with others and we had to head back down to the city and going through, going down to the city, we drove through Leadville. And something about the place made me stop. Couldn't put my finger on it because it looks like nowhere else that I've been. And we just went in for a bit of lunch and had a chat with the barman in behind the bar who filled me in on the uh, mines and the reason for the existence of Leadville was the mines. They were lead, silver, tin, some copper and some other rare metals. And uh, he he informed me that there was a lot of Irish miners had come there and at the end of the 1800s from uh, the Beira Peninsula and his name was O'Sullivan himself. So it was a curious story that stuck in my mind because I'd been going down to Alihees for 40 years or for 20 years at that stage on the holidays. So the uh, coincidence of it never left me and then about five years ago, I got a, a text message from a business partner over there in Denver to design a memorial for the miners. Now, this was out of the blue. I wasn't expecting it. I didn't even know he was involved in uh, the Irish network in Colorado, but he was. And um, I immediately knew what to do. So uh, after several trips back and forward and drawings back and forward, we all agreed on a particular thing to do. OK, and we'll, and, talk, we'll, and we'll talk about the sculpture in, in a minute. But just explain why so many left Alihees to go to America. Well, the, the mine closed in Alihees, right? And there had been uh, a tradition, fairly recent tradition, of migration from Ireland to America. And of course, news travels. And miners only know how to do one thing in that mine. So uh, mines opened up in the in Butte, Montana and Leadville. And that was the pull factor. The push factor was that the, the uh, mines closed down in Alhi. They were in financial trouble for quite a while because the price of copper dropped and that made the, the mine in Alhi's less viable and eventually it closed. And how many people so, would have been working in that mine in Alhi's at the time? Fifteen to sixteen hundred, I think, oh. was at its maximum. But that that fluctuated 
quite a lot. So they headed over to, to the States. How tough was life for those miners from the Bear Peninsula when they headed to America? Well, if you cast your mind back to just post-famine Ireland, this is when all of those movements uh, took place. Uh, very little education. A lot of them probably down there didn't, didn't speak English. They had connection or read it, wouldn't know, have known how to read a map. They just knew that you got on a boat and went to America. And there were opportunities there that went, weren't available here. So the life they met over there was quite tough. And what's striking about the, the site in Leadville is it's an enormous graveyard. And in this graveyard, there is a space that looks empty, but it's actually quite full. And that's where all the Irish are buried. And the reason it looks empty is because there are no um, gravestones. When they were, they, they, when they were buried, uh, there was an element of poverty attached to this particular area and the Irish in particular, that their graves were marked with a wooden stake which had uh, their name written in molten lead on it. Now, what happened over time was the wooden stake perished, but the lead didn't. It sat on the ground. And I think that's how the it was archaeologically identified as being the, the place where all the Irish were buried. And some of so the, their, some, life, some of their the, life was not easy. And some of the names, Terry? Yeah, the names, well, you'll find them all down in West Cork. <laughs> McCarthy, O'Sullivan, Murphy, Powers, they're all there. And the age that uh, of some of the men who died? Well, the average age uh, of the people in that particular section of the graveyard is 23 years of age. God, they were so young, yeah. weren't they? Well, the infant mortality was quite a high thing as well, which would suggest that uh, all the people bur- buried there weren't born in Ireland. But there are, uh, there are about 1,100 uh, Irish born there. The rest were born over there of Irish parents, if you like, but there was a huge amount of infant mortality. So that would have um, pulled the average age down, if you like. But the, the they were young men and an awful lot of those deaths were, well, you had typhus, you had typhoid, you had all sorts of diseases that have been eradicated since by uh, vaccine programmes, etc. But they, they existed then. And... Um, the Irish were, the, were, I suppose, particularly poor in, in that where they arrived with nothing. And the, this particular site would suggest that they left with nothing. God help them. And, they, and of course, even to have survived the journey. I mean, you, you're talking of the year of the coffin, the coffin ships was how they would have got to America. Oh, absolutely. And there are there is an enormous number of stories. In fact, the whole thing was unearthed by a man called James Walsh, who was the... Um, a professor of English or professor of, of history in Denver University, and he wrote a, a, a dissertation on it called "The Forgotten Irish of Leadville." And in it, he goes into the historical nature of how and why they got there, and how they lived, and how they died, and the uh, semi-political struggles that they got involved in. There was uh, um, a character in the whole thing called Michael Mooney. He was actually from Dublin. And he tried to organise uh, uh, minor strikes and all this sort of stuff over there to try and establish some rights. I suppose they had the same struggles in Alahees. I was reading up on it there yesterday that there were strikes down in Alahees as well. Mm. Um, all of this was just reflection of the, the uh, poverty times that existed 
in those days, you know, so it was, was a frugal existence. Yeah, they went there, I suppose, dreaming of a better life and, and a better future. And if anything, the conditions were as hard, if not harder. And then, of course, you add to that in Colorado, they get bitterly cold winters that they wouldn't have experienced in Alleys. Up in the Rocky Mountains, uh, it is cold from October to March. And bear in mind, they're two miles above sea level. And in Leadville, it's the highest city in America. It's also the most remote. And uh, Alahis is one of the most remote villages in Ireland. So it's apt that they are now twinned. Um, so the, and the weather down in Alahis wouldn't have been uh, cold, but it would have been excessively wet in the winter. But uh, in the mines themselves, there wouldn't have been terribly low temperatures, um, just the nature of the Rocky Mountains. And it's very arid up there, so you don't feel the cold as much. Okay, and and thanks to this um, professor that you're talking about, uh, Jim uh, Jim Walsh, Jim. The, the people of Leadville now want to make sure that these miners are remembered. So talk to me now about what is the plan for this memorial. The memorial uh, concept grew out of the committee in Colorado called INCO, which is the Irish Network in Colorado. They're involved in numerous things. But this is one project that they're particularly keen to get finished. And it's quite a large pro- project. And it's by coincidence that they're all together and it's by coincidence that I'm involved as well. It's just all of these things seem to add together to produce what, what's now happening. So um, the, they've been very sensitive to the local uh, Native American population as well and informed them of what, what what's going on with the memorial and they're fully behind it too. So. The whole thing is is bigger than it, the sum of its parts in that the idea behind it is to remember uh, the Irish people who may, who were pioneers over there and who carved their culture into the rock of the Rocky Mountains and into America and made themselves part of what it is today. So the, you were contacted and asked if you could make a sculpture. Now, I've, I've, all initially, I've seen... The, all initially, it wasn't to make it. Initially, it was to design it. Design it, OK. And then somewhere along yeah. the line, you decided you'd not only design it, you'd make it. Now, I've seen photographs of it, uh, Terry. Yeah. D- d- describe it. It's it's quite a stunning piece. Des- describe what you've carved. Well, it's a minor. If you were to take a man that's seven foot six high, because when you're doing something outside, you have to make it bigger or it looks small. So... We started off with with it as uh, the we we agreed the final design, which is a man uh, on one knee with an axe in his hand, uh, with his hand on an, an Irish harp. Okay, mm-hmm. this harp will then be carved into a rock, which will be uh, a sandstone rock taken out of the Rocky Mountains, and all of this will be put on a, a, a ten foot diameter plinth which will be set in the graveyard. I think the plinth is actually built built now and the uh, the bronze casting is done of the figure. So um, basically that was the, the the concept that we all agreed. There are uh, uh, There's a lot more work involved in it in that there are glass panels will surround all of this with the names of all the 1,100 Irish people uh, sandblasted onto the glass. Uh, now, everything, everything here has to be weather resistant to Leadville weather. So all of this is taken into 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 account in both the design and the execution of it. 
And how mm. how because I don't know you you made the sculpture oh, here here yeah. here. How did you get it? If it was that size, I've only seen a picture. I didn't realize it was that big. How did you get it to the yeah. states? Well, we got it over in a crate, okay. and uh, we flew it over. Uh, now it had to fly because that thing going by ship, you know, it would have got rattled around an awful lot. Now I know it gets rattled around in a plane as well, but not the not as severely as it would in the ship. At least that was my thinking of it. And uh, we tried numerous ways of getting it over, but the, the, it worked out that it went from here to Dublin Airport to Belfast to Heathrow <laughs> to Los Angeles to San Francisco, to Denver. <laughs> it's well-travelled. <laughs> well, nothing... well, initially, what we wanted to do was get it as far as New York. And uh, there's a friend of mine living over there, Brendan O'Reilly, and he said, we're going to put it in the back of a van and drive it down to Colorado. That was, that was the for publicity, you know? Yeah. But that was, the, that was the original idea. But COVID got in the way of that one. So th- there was no travel... You know, so it just um, uh, it's just another, another hurdle on the way. Yeah, and it but, has uh, it has delayed it. It has delayed yeah, the we, official it launch. Has, yeah, yeah, and the whole um, the whole thing about it being um, uh, set up and and turned into bronze over there uh, is another coincidental coincidental story. The 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 owner of the foundry. Uh, in Loveland, which is a hundred miles from Leadville, his grandfather was an Irish emigrant from West Cork, who went over through Canada, and down to uh, Leadville. Uh, he he found Canada too cold now, so he went down to Leadville. <laughs> so I don't, I don't understand that. But uh, he they said his grandfather set up the foundry there, and I'm sure the foundry was set up in 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 um, response to the amount of mining that was going on around there. They had to smelt all their uh, ingots into or make ingots out of their their um, metals and all of this sort of stuff. So, and the the mine. Is now more or less closed, so the um, foundry found a new reason to live. God, it's all serendipity, isn't it? Away the way, even, even the way you just on the holiday and decided to 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 go yeah. to Leadville, and the fact that you had been visiting Alahis. How? What's your connection with Alahis? When did you? How did you first get to Alahis? Uh, Forty years ago, right? I know it sounds like a long time. It is. <laughs> but 40 years ago, I was working in Killarney and it was a good Friday and I had the day off. So I got into my car and a friend of mine uh, had recommended that if I ever get the chance to go to Alhees, go there. Now, I drove down to Alhees. Now, before I start on this, uh, this story, I'll try and shorten it as much as possible. Have you ever read a book by Flann O'Brien called The Third Policeman? I have. I have. Yeah. Okay, you know the first few pages of that. There's a fella dead and he doesn't know it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, it was a bit like that. <laughs> I, I decided to go to Dorsey Island first, right? So I went over to the cable car and paid me return fare. And uh, the man running the cable car warned me to be back on the platform over there because the, the whole thing was closing at five o'clock. And I'd be left there overnight and there was nothing to do nor anybody to look after me. This sort of stuff. He also said he was finding great difficulty in getting insurance for the um, cable car because of the rust. Right. This is 
frightening you now. Yeah. You're a couple of hundred feet above the Atlantic Ocean and this is what you're looking at, rust. So I went over to Dursey Island and had a good long walk around it. It was a fabulous day. It was really nice, really nice. And on that walk, it was like going back in time. I heard a noise down in the ditch and I looked over the wall and there was a man digging a hole. Now, this wasn't just a fellow with a shovel. This hole was like a perfect cube, eight feet wide, eight feet deep and eight feet across. And he was down in it. And I asked him, <laughs> I asked him to define what he was looking for yet. And he looked up and, and uh, said, no. And, and he said, all I'm doing here is planting a tree, but there's no soil to plant the tree. I want to plant, so I'm making the soil and I'm going to put it in here. And this was a little bit eccentric. But anyway, I went in and had a cup of tea with him and went on my way and came back to the platform and then started to drive into Allahees when I got back on the cable car. And on my way into Allahees, I turned around a corner and there was a man standing in the middle of the road with his hands in the air. Now, did you ever get a draft board when you were a child? Uh, yeah. For, yeah, for playing, okay. for playing you know the red, yeah. red and black squares. Yeah. Yeah. He was wearing a jacket like that, which was totally that that was exactly like a draft ball. But he was an enormous man, and and uh, I stopped, of course, because uh, otherwise he would have run, run him over. And he said, "Can you are you going into Allahies?" And I said, "Well, this road doesn't go anywhere else, as far as I know." And he said, "My motorbike's fallen down into the, into the ditch." <laughs> and, uh, I need a lift. <laughs> Can you give me a lift in? And I said, I offered to help him get his motor, motorbike out of the ditch, but he he, he didn't want that. He he got into the car and we drove into Alley. Now this was Good Friday forty years ago, and we stopped in Alley. And he said, "Would you like a pint?" And I said, "I'd love one, but but sure, everywhere is closed. It's Good Friday." And he said, "Come on out of that now." So I followed him in through a house, down a corridor, into in through the kitchen around which there was a table in the kitchen around which the family were sitting having their dinner, right? <laughs> now, they barely looked up. I was mortified, but they barely looked up. This was apparently a common occurrence. So out, out into the back garden, over a wall, and into a pub that was absolutely hot. Into the back door. <laughs> into the back door. So. And, and that was replicated all over West Cork and indeed all over Ireland, uh, I think. So that, the, that was your introduction to Allies. Did you stay the well, night? Well, I had one of the most entertaining nights <laughs> of my life down there. It was absolutely fantastic. I booked in, the bed and breakfast above the pub, I booked in there for the night. So, uh, and at two in the morning, he was still rocking away. <laughs> and he said he... He was going to close in October sometime. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> and actually, it's interesting that you mentioned the cable car because we only did an interview earlier this morning with the cable car because the cable car was out of action at the moment for uh, Dursey mm. uh, and, 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 it's, and it's closed. For, so a bit of serendipity there that you, that you happened to mention it. Anyway, back to, yeah. back to, your, back to your amazing sculpture. And, and so, yeah. so the, the plan now, obviously COVID times has, has put it all, all out of sync a little bit. Is there an official date for when you hope will be the official launch and this kind of tentative that maybe Joe Biden might be interested? It's a story he certainly would love. Well, I, we have a way of getting it in front of him, right? Yeah. Now, that's one thing. I mean, of course, the expectation that, he, that he'd actually go down and do it uh, would be fantastic, but it's still an aspiration. 
But having said that, he's an Irish American. He's from that sort of a same a background that um, the miners are from. This is very relevant in Irish history. It's relevant in a in a in a way to American history and and the influence that uh, Irish people had on it. And he, being one of those, may consider that it would be a good thing to do it politically, if nothing else. You know so. Um, that's the plan, and it's the hope that he'll do it. Okay. So, and are you we'll are, are you going? Are you when do you next plan to travel to Leadville in Colorado? Well, there's a small opening this September, right, where the um, centerpiece will be put on the on the platform, and I want to I'll go over this September just to make sure that that happens uh, in in the right way. Now we're working with some very good people over there that will. Uh, make sure it happens correctly. But I'd like to go over. I haven't been there in two years. Yeah, so that's first point. And the next thing is the rest of it, the completion of the entire thing will be the following September. OK, it'll be, it'll be so another year. Somebody, and yeah. I was going to ask this question, somebody said, fascinating story because you asked Terry, who is funded at all? It's funded by, by uh, local fundraising in Colorado. Um, the... Irish government have given about $90,000 to it, right? Now, bear in mind that the total cost of this, we've no idea where it's going to finish up. I suspect it's going to be about $600,000 to get all the thing done. Now, everybody that's involved in it is working pro bono for nothing, Yeah. right? And that's one of the key, key keys to the success of it. Nobody has a vested interest. It's just a labour of love, really. Yeah, and I just think it's fantastic that these men will be forever remembered and commemorated. Listen, well done. It's, it is a fascinating story, uh, Terry, and we really yeah. t- thank you for taking uh, time out and uh, no doubt closer to the actual official dedication of it. Uh, we, we might have you back on again. Well, it's it, thank you. And uh, it's not over yet. And uh, I keep telling people that the, the last time this happened, the French put a statue on the Hudson River. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they did. They, they did. And look where that ended up. OK, listen, yeah, Terry, it was a pleasure. Exciting. Pleasure talking to you. Thank you for that. And thanks for joining okay. us. Uh, good morning to you. Uh, you. Bye bye. Bye bye. That is uh, County Wicklow based engineer Terry Brennan with that incredible story of those Miners who left at Allies and how tough their life was, their, their life were. I mean, to think that the average age of those that were buried, they're 23 years of age and uh, half of them were children under the age of 12. Lovely to think that they would be forever remembered. Today is the last day of our Mallows Home and Garden Festival, one of Ireland's largest home and garden festivals, which will kick off this day next week and run across right across the weekend, 27, 28, 29th of May. And the organisers have very kindly given us a Parma Rattan modular sofa set to give away on the programme today but we need to get our final qualifier before we can make the draw all this week we've been playing clips from people well known uh, who love their gardens and today's gardener needs no introduction So the time to feed it if you wanted to would be that time of the year July, August, September because uh, there's no point feeding it now because it, it won't do anything for it 
Uh, our John Paul is making it very easy on the final day. Who is that well-known gardener? We need his name, please, along with your name and address. Text and WhatsApp only, 86 103. Get texting on that. We'll leave it open for about 10 minutes. Then we'll randomly select one lucky qualifier for today. That person's name will go into the hat, along with the four that we've had across this week. And then we will be announcing uh, the overall winner of a Parma Rattan Modular Sofa set. Reminding you, though, that n- that not this weekend, next weekend, Mallow Home and Garden Festival takes place at the Mallow, uh, at the racecourse in Mallow. They'll have over 200 exhibitors. There will be garden shows. There'll be lots of free seminars on each day. You'll also then, of course, browse through. They reckon about five million plants go on display over the three days of the Garden Festival. There's a vintage car show, the Artisan Food Expo, keep you nicely fed while you're there. And if you're planning on travelling to Mallow to go to the Garden Festival by train, when you get off the train, there will be a free bus shuttle bus service from the train sa- station taking you out to the race course each day. That's the Malahoma Garden Festival Cork Race Course May 27th, 28th and 29th with C103. Who is this famous gardener? So the time to feed it if you wanted to would be that time of the year, July, August, September because uh, there's no point feeding it now because it, it won't do anything for it. And he's not just a famous gardener. We think he is the best gardener. Get texting on that. OK, some of your thoughts and comments coming into the programme uh, this morning. Uh, firstly, lots of people, and thank you, saying very kind things and saying how much they enjoyed the interesting chat with Terry Brennan and the story of the miners. Yeah, I was really intrigued uh, by it. I thought it was absolutely uh, fascinating, but lots of people took time out uh, to contact us, including Michael, to say what a brilliant and extremely interesting interview on Ali He's Mines. Uh, mining and also the social life as it was at the time even the Good Friday traditions with uh, Terry every good luck to uh, him and I loved the fact that when he was in the pub in Alhi's as he said, about 40 years ago. And when he said, because it was two o'clock in the morning, he said, what time did you close that? Or no, he didn't say, he said, when are you closing? And the barman said, October. <laughs> that made me chuckle, I have to say, but lots of people really enjoyed it. And then someone else has a story on the, where's that comment gone in from a listener? Terry in Bantry. Terry said a relative of his, uh, John Edgeworth, went to Butte, Montana in 1847, working in the mines there. And he married a Nellie Sullivan. Where was Nellie Sullivan from? Nellie was from Iris. There was 44,000 working in the mines at the time, mostly immigrants. In 1964, Tom was working for a mining company and took the remains of the mining equipment from Allihies to a mine in Bantry, which was mining at the time, and a white stone used for making paint. Uh, more uh, history uh, to it and actually when I was when Terry was talking about Leadville in Colorado this is where the memorial is and this is where they've discovered this grave and many of them unmarked but they've managed through the church records because of course all of the ones the majority that would have travelled from Ireland were, were Catholic so they got onto the Catholic church and managed to get through the parish records to get the names of the men that are buried there that's why the names of all the men buried there will be included on this memorial they're going to put them up on I, I've, I've seen an artist's sketch of it they're like sort of glass structures and they'll etch all the names into 
into it of the people that are buried because obviously the graves at this stage are unmarked so they will be forever remembered and while that's in Leadville in, Co- in Colorado there was two areas they either from Allahys they went to when the Allahys mines closed they either went to Leadville in Colorado or they went to uh, Butte, Montana where you were talking about as well Tom so thank you for that as I say lots of people saying that they really enjoyed the interview and I'm glad that you did Okay some more of your thoughts uh, coming in um, Good morning uh, Patricia we are the people of this is to do with cost of living and all of that we are the people of this uh, country we should start really taking it to the government like what they do in France and in the UK people are doing it over these huge fuel increases they can't keep blaming Covid they can't keep blaming the war in Ukraine it's always something or someone else that is the reason but it really is up to our elected representatives to make and our local elected representatives to protest to the Minister on our behalf about the cost of fuel and the cost of everything. We need to remember when it's time to vote who were the ones that worked for us the most. Kind regards, that's from Heidi. Martin in West Cork says, Hi Patricia, is OPEC basically at the heart of all of the inflation? Obviously Russia and Ukraine are involved, well not Ukraine but Russia are involved because what they've done to Ukraine, that war is involved as well. Is it basically OPEC's greed? Is, are they the ones that were responsible for our nightmare inflation? The hands of a few are controlling millions of pockets. It's incredulous. Could OPEC not increase production for approximately two years where the war could be over and we've developed new oil fields worldwide are we've gone for alternative green energy there are solutions there something needs to be found and found and Martin reckons it's OPEC need to step up to the mark because the rising cost of inflation is not just happening in, in this country I mean Heidi is right as well it's, it's, it's in all countries it's right across the world we have an, an inflation issue and the, the danger is, you know, will we head for a, a major global recession? Is that what will, will happen? I mean, think of what happened after the First World War back in the, the Roaring Twenties led in then to a global recession and certainly nobody wants that. Thank you for your comments. John says, Patricia, people are not locked out of the property market. They are now also locked out of the rental market. Rents have increased by over 10% in the past year. And now, because of it, many of our brightest and best are emigrating. The government are now proposing giving builders who are building apartments grants of up to 140 k to compensate them for the rising cost of materials. The selling cost of these apartments will be €400,000 even with the additional grants that the government is giving. In order to buy an apartment, and this is just an apartment, this isn't even like a proper three-bedroomed house, one would need an income of 100k a year to buy one, says John, and there are not uh, many couples with that kind of money. Thank you for that, uh, John. Uh, WhatsApping 0862103103. Okay, I want to go to a piece from that Maraid has sent in to us. Where am I going with that? Here it is. Uh, Maraid Tuig, our news uh, reporter, she went off to take a look at the IMAC Mixed Ability Rugby World Cup. It's taking place in Musgrave Park from the 5th to the 10th of June. Tickets are free, but you do need to book them. And actually, we're very proud here at C103 that we are media partners. So Mairead went along this week to find out what is the iMart Mixed Ability Rugby all about. It's a big, big thing for me. I like inclusivity and stuff. So to see the way lads are here today and brings pride to me. I have a disability myself, but I don't see it as a disability. I see, I see it like a normal, normal person, basically, and 
I'm just happy to do whatever else does and I'm just happy to be here and just that's it it's my first World Cup I honestly never thought I'd be playing rugby let alone playing here in Wuzzlegar Park and playing in the World Cup it's just it's unbelievable hard to, hard to put in words but hopefully we can go all the way if not sure it's just just a day experience and stuff like that and I'd say you've mighty cracked do you? oh we do we do <laughs> As they say, what happens on tour stays on tour. <laughs> Brilliant. John Bransfield plays with Sunday's Well Rebels, a mixed ability rugby team. The IMART Mixed Ability Rugby World Cup in Cork will host an estimated 25,000 players and spectators at Musgrave Park next month. Keith Johnston is volunteer coordinator for IMART 2022. We have 28 teams coming from all over the world to play in a tournament. We have 82 games over four days um, in Musgrave Park in Cork. It's going to be lots of fun, lots of rugby, lots of smiles. It's a very inclusive, probably the most inclusive event in the world this year, I would imagine. Certainly of this size. Uh, we have teams coming from Argentina, Chile, Ecuador, Poland, Canada, all over the UK and, and uh, quite a few from Ireland as well. It's great to see growth in our version of, of the sport that we love. Around 1,100 players will be involved in the tournament. Sheila Philpott's son Richard is captain of Sunday's Wild Rebels. I never thought when Richard was diagnosed with autism as a maybe, I suppose he was three, I never thought I'd see this day where he would be leading out, be captain, and, and, all, and all that comes with it. I'm so proud. I am so proud. The lads... Obviously, they don't see disability, but it has opened a world to them. In their playing alongside all their teammates, it's given them confidence. They don't see themselves any different. If you look out there at the picture tonight and you see them all playing, you don't see disability. It's so important, and particularly sport. It breaks down barriers, and they put on, they put on their jersey, and they're just one of the lads. Alan Crockwell is director of IMART Cork 2022 and founder of Ireland's first ever mixed ability rugby team, Sunday's Well Rebels. Mixed ability rugby is the concept of playing rugby under world rugby rules with people with and without disabilities. Basically, it is what he says, mixed ability. So rugby is the game for all shapes and all sizes, as we know, and now it's all abilities. So we have people who have disabilities and don't have disabilities. But one thing what we have here in abundance is teammates and that sense of fun and friendship and, and, and real true inclusion and you will see it on the pitch but more importantly you'll see it off the pitch because we have a fantastic lineup of festival events in our in our third half marquee Tickets for the tournament are free and can be booked on imartworldcup.org isn't that absolutely fantastic? They just put a smile on my face listening to uh, listening to that. And I loved the mother who said, you know, talking about her son when he was diagnosed with autism, she never, ever thought that he would get to represent Ireland, you know, to be and, and to be on a World Cup. And when, when you're watching everybody out there, nobody is seeing disabilities. All they're seeing is abilities, which is brilliant, which is fantastic. So the best of luck to everybody involved there. And as I say, it's not happening until uh, June uh, where is it? It's here. It's in front of me. It's June 5th to uh, 10th and uh, tickets from iMart Mixability Rugby and no doubt closer to the time we'll remind you of it and we'll do a little bit more on it. OK, you can stop texting us on our competition for the Mallow Home and Garden Festival. So the time to feed it if you wanted to would be that time of the year, July, August, September, because uh, there's no point feeding it now because it, it won't do anything for it. 
And of course the answer was, as somebody said, the one and only Peter Dowdell. It was the one and only Peter Dowdell. We've made a draw from all, all of the correct answers. And Mary Birch of Ferry Point Cottage in York. Congratulations, Mary. You are our fifth and final qualifier. You go forward into the draw and we will make the draw before the close of the programme today. And one of our five qualifiers from this week will be winning the Parma Ratten modular sofa set thanks to the Mallow Home and Garden Festival, which runs a Cork race course May 27th, 28th and 29th with C103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. Castle Magner Senior Club are holding their Bialtina celebrations. It is on tonight with a concert starting at 8 o'clock. Young and old will enjoy the evening of song, dance and storytelling and also enjoy a cuppa and a chat. Everybody welcome and admission 10 euro and children are free. Bingo is in Mallow GAA Complex tonight 8.15 with a jackpot of €2,850. Andreas Moynihan is fundraising for the Alzheimer Society and he's holding a takeaway tea day today at his office in McCroom. Hildallery Bingo will be held in the newly renovated old store in the Creamery Yard tonight. Doors open at 7, eyes down from 8 and there is an option to play inside or outside in your car. They've got a jackpot of €2,040. And Drumahan Roadrunners are hosting the Barry O'Sullivan Memorial 5K tomorrow Saturday with runners starting from the school at 6 and walkers at 6.30. Registration and donations can be done online. Just look up the Drumahan Roadrunners. And the story, written and performed by Timmy O'Mahony, is at the Glen Theatre in Bantir tomorrow night at 8.30. It follows the story of a boy from the north side of Cork City who's searching for his missing friend. Bookings available on 029 56239. Cork Today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 0818 103 103. And just catching up on some other texts that have come into the programme. A couple of people want to give want me to give a shout out, which I am delighted to do. Uh, Tracy says, would you please mention there's fundraising going on tomorrow for our homeless Irish veterans. It's happening across Dublin, Cork, Limerick, Galway and Athlone. It's part of the group one in the southern branches will be collecting the O&E. Is that how it's pronounced? Uh, they will be collecting um, outside Brown Thomas from 9am in Cork City tomorrow. There'll be pipe bands playing throughout the day to support and to bring the public a little bit of entertainment at the same time. So good luck with that if you're in the city. Keep a lookout for O&E collecting for the I- homeless Irish veterans. And it's uh, sad to think that some of our veterans find themselves homeless, but that exactly is the uh, case. Now, I want to go to a text that came in and I held off on it because we were trying to get through to the RSA. This was in from Sheila and I called it out because I don't know if it's happening to others as well. Sheila contacted us this morning to say, Patricia, I am at my wits end for weeks now, says Sheila. I've been trying to get my driving licence. I've been trying to apply for it online, which is what we're told to do. I even opened a bank account so that I would have have a debit card in order to pay for the driving license. I got as far as getting my my gov you've got to have a MyGov account, MyGov code number, but I simply just can't verify it. It keeps saying apologize, apologize, apologizing. There's an error. Try again. And Sheila's been trying again and again 
and again but it doesn't say what the error is she tried to email the driving licence section the IDLS uh, but they're not accepting it she even tried phoning them but she only got a recorded message her licence now has run out she's in her 60s lives way out in the countryside really needs her car she said she doesn't drive to the city as she's still afraid of Covid on the bus so she's not even able to get on the the bus to go into the city and uh, she said so I can't go in in person what more can I do says uh, Sheila so I just I could sense the desperation and also the fact that she'd gone to such lengths to, you know often we get contacted by people and when you say well have you tried this they'll say no we came to you first so when somebody has gone to the lengths that Sheila has gone through my heart just went out to her so I asked Bernie John to the RSA to see how we could help her so we've put the RSA in contact with Sheila about her driving licence and we've asked Sheila to revert back to us and let us know how she gets on so please God fingers crossed Sheila you will get sorted and you'll get sorted sooner rather than uh, later couple of other texts in saying, Patricia, can you please announce dancing to Muriel O'Connor and Fran? It is happening this Sunday night in Theo Park in uh, Labamalaga. Starts at half past, Sunday afternoon, should I say, half past two. Everyone is very welcome. And Middleton GAA bingo is on as usual this evening at half past seven. But I've been asked to remind the dancers that there's no dancing in Middleton this Saturday. And that is due to a private uh, function, Mary was on to give that a mention glad to do that and just one thing we've had a couple of calls in about this during the week and this is to do and I said I needed to try and get my head around it this is to do with the cases of monkey pox virus that has been uh, reported and there was more cases actually reported in this country yesterday and somebody says Patricia what is this all about can you find out more uh, about it uh, Canada are now saying they're investigating as many as 12 people who have been infected there's been no no actually case in this country yes Spain, Portugal and the UK have all seen infections as I say none detected in Ireland as of yet but we do have a multidisciplinary incident team in this country that's already been set up to try to prepare for the possible arrival of this infection and obviously there's concerns with more people travelling summer holidays and all that that if this virus is out and about in other countries is there a possibility that somebody will bring it back to this country so what do we know about monkey pox so far? Well, the Health Protection Surveillance Centre, they say, monkeypox is a rare disease and it's caused by infection with the monkeypox virus. It occurs primarily in very remote parts of Central and West Africa. Now, there's seemingly there's two types of monkeypox. There is the West African type and then there's the Congo Basin monkeypox. Uh, but it's only the milder one that has been detected in other countries. That's the West African one. It takes close physical contact to spread the virus between people. Contact with close family members or sexual contact poses the biggest risk of person-to-person spread. So it isn't really airborne. It really is person-to-person spread. The risk of spread within the community, therefore, generally is very low. But obviously, the our disease watchdog the Health Protection Surveillance Centre is keeping a close eye and waiting to see will we get any cases here. In the UK, the Health Secretary, the Health Security Agency said earlier this week they had a cluster of four cases that have been reported in England and they're not linked to three other uh, cases. Patients are either self-isolating at home or some have been treated in specialist uh, infectious disease wards in hospital. Now, previous cases in the UK were linked to travel to other parts of the 
the world where it is more prevalent, particularly travel to West Africa. But there's the, the evidence now of the new cases in England is that the virus has spread and none of the four recent patients were linked in any way that they hadn't been out of the country, they hadn't travelled, so they somehow uh, picked it up in their own uh, community. So how would you know if you had smallpox, which I think was the main question we were getting from a lot of our, our listeners. Initial symptoms include fever, headache, muscle aches, swollen lymph nodes, you'll get chills and you'll be feeling utterly exhausted. Now the virus also produces what is described as a very distinctive rash. Often starts on the face before spreading to the rest of the body. The rash changes and it goes through different stages and it can actually end up looking like chickenpox before finally forming scabs and then they later fall off. Now the Health Protection Surveillance Centre said monkeypox infection is usually a self limiting illness and most people recover within weeks. It's almost like getting chickenpox, and people will recover uh, from it. Although they do say it can cause death. Severe illness can occur. Obviously people with a weakened immune system and in very small babies. Now there's no medicine that can cure monkeypox. Same as with chickenpox. There's no you have to get the virus out of your system and treatment is mainly supportive. So again, a little bit like what happens for uh, chickenpox. And the most recent uh, cases have been in gay and bisexual communities in the UK, suggesting that there may be a higher risk in this group. People should be alert to rashes or any kind of other lesions that they discover on their body. And obviously, if anybody has any concerns, your first port, port of call is your GP. But as of now, no known case has been detected in uh, in Ireland. But with more people travelling, there is the danger this summer that we will end up getting some cases of monkey pox virus uh, detected here. 0818103103. Bernie's taking your calls. You can text your WhatsApp to 0862103103. Let's go to the movies next with Mark Malone. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862103103. And before we talk movies with uh, Mark, just to while the ad break was on there, we made the draw from our five qualifiers for the Mallow Home and Garden uh, Festival and our overall winner, the Parma Rotten Modular Sofa Set, is heading to Rathgormach and the home of Maria Coughlin, who qualified during the week. Congratulations. We'll be in contact with you, Maria Coughlin. Rath Gormack winning our Parma Rotten Modular Sofa Set and thanks to everybody at the Mallow Garden Festival, one of Ireland's largest home and garden festivals out at the Cork Racecourse next weekend with C103 for that lovely prize. OK, Mark Malone uh, joining me this afternoon to talk movies. Good afternoon to you, Mark. Hi, Patricia. And the two movies that you watched for us this week were uh, Death on the Nile, that's the Agatha Christie story, but you also watched Bad Guys, The Bad Guys, and here is a quick trailer from The Bad Guys. Hey, I'm the big bad wolf. I am the villain in every story. If you want to stay out of jail, you need to go good. Huh? Not everyone gets a second chance. What's up, Papa? Show the world that you're more than just a scary stereotype. Is it true sharks can smell blood? a mile away. What? No, that's freaky. Lesson one, sharing. Pop me, please. Nope. (gasps) Totally worth it. Now, this is about a group of reformed yet misunderstood criminal animals. (laughs) 
Not quite reformed yet. Oh, I right, mean, okay. uh, they yes, there is a character uh, beautifully voiced by Richard Awadi who never does anything wrong for me. He plays the character of Professor Marmalade who does try to mentor them uh, throughout the film to try and kind of uh, get them to mend their ways because they are bad guys, Patricia. <laughs> and they're not really, you know, deep down uh, the type of bad guy that you would normally see because, yes, they, they do a lot of robbing, they do a lot of stealing, uh, but they don't do it for the kind of monetary kind of result of it all because they just basically keep their money. They don't really spend it. They do it because it's fun and they enjoy it. And um, and uh, and so that's basically the kind of the story of the film because um, at some stage, um, about 20 minutes into the film, yes, we, we're, we're constantly referencing the fact that uh, Sam Rockwell here, who plays the character of Wolf, is, uh, you know, traditionally in um, in uh, books and uh, and stories, the big bad wolf. Um, but at one stage, he helps this little old lady down the stairs and his his tail starts wagging and he doesn't understand why. And then he realises that, you know, maybe being good is a good thing. And maybe, and, and from then on, he tries to kind of persuade the rest of the team that maybe going, you know, that way uh, might be the best for all of them. And uh, at some stage, then they might be forgiven by the police and they may be able to get on with their lives. But the problem is that they do like being bad guys. Um, this is DreamWorks. This is an animated film. It's directed by Pierre Perifel, who um, it's his first directed uh, film. He's been working with DreamWorks, though, for quite some time. And he does a terrific job here. I mean, some of the set pieces here are really, really terrific. There are lots of references to other movies, especially kind of Tarantino. Do you remember in uh, the film Reservoir Dogs, all of the characters' names were like Mr. White and mm. Mr. Pink. Mm. Uh, well, here they're all uh, Mr. Wolf, they're Mr. Snake, they're Mr. Shark, um, they're Miss Tarantula, and so on. And they're actual animals. And the interesting thing is that they actually, in this film, they share the city with humans, but at no stage do the humans go, that's a wolf who talks, you know, that's a shark that talks. And But what's interesting is not all the animals in the film talk. I mean, um, they there's a beautiful little pussycat. Pussycat doesn't talk. Uh, there are hamsters and uh, other types of animals who don't talk at all in this film, but that never comes up. That's never discussed. And I don't think that's kind of really, really necessary uh, anyway. It's, it's really, really good fun. There's not really a kind of a great deal to kind of uh, talk about. I mean, there are lots of references to films which I like as a movie buff, especially the Tarantino films. There's a section where they basically kind of rip off uh, a scene from Pulp Fiction. There's lots of references to uh, Wolf uh, doing a Clooney because um, he's very like George Clooney. He's kind of sophisticated and kind of cool. And there's also a sequence, again, which is a direct lift from Ocean's Eleven. And um, and so as a movie buff, I did love kind of those references. You know, it's, it's what you would expect these days from these kind of movies. Very good animation, a lot of action, a lot of, uh, a lot of jokes. And um, I I enjoyed it. You know, there's not really too much that I can kind of talk yeah, about and, it because and whenever um, but whenever we talk about these these movies, there's usually always a great cast because actors and actresses love to play these roles. Yeah, and they're easy to do. I mean, yeah, and it, there is a very good catch. You got Sam Rock, Rockwell, you got Mark Maron, Craig Robinson, Aquafina. Um, I mean, it is a very, very, very good uh, voice cast, uh, as you would expect. And actually, Sam Rockwell does sound like Clooney a lot of the times, but then Sam Rockwell can't really do anything wrong for me. Look, it's it's exactly what you'd expect from DreamWorks. I mean, it's top quality animation. The animation is interesting in the sense that, yes, it's very detailed, but it's, some of the faces look as if they've kind of been kind of loosely drawn on. And I presume that that was kind of... Um, 
that 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 was uh, deliberate. And you know, it rocks along at a, an incredible pace, as you can imagine. It's funny; all the family can enjoy it. And you know, of all ages, you know, there'll be jokes, obviously, that kids won't get. Invited, you know, and um, but added, there are jokes for adults as well. And in the end, I thought it was really, really entertaining. I thought it was very good. Well done. And I love those movies that literally everybody from the smallies right up to granny can sit down and, and watch and, and enjoy. So, Mark, can I attend the bad guys? I'll give it seven. Seven out of ten. Okay. Now, the second movie you watched is Agatha Christie's Death on the Nile. And I don't know how many previous versions of Death on the Nile has been made, but this is a new modern version of Death on the Nile. But is yeah. it, but is it, uh, well, is it exactly... Most, I suppose the most famous one, I mean, there's been a few, as you say. Um, I suppose the most famous one was from 1978. Okay. And that had Peter Ustinov yeah, in it. That's you might the remember. one I remember. Yeah, I saw that in the cinema. Yeah, that's how old I am, and um, I I remember seeing it and enjoying it. You know, because it was all those movies were huge star-studded affairs. If I remember, the original had like David Niven, and it had like Richard Attenborough and many others. And um, this, these films, these modern films, aren't as star-studded as those days. But you know, there's some pretty big actors in this, and Ed Benning is in it, Russell Brand, of course, Kenneth Branagh, and his amazing mustache is back again. And uh, this is the follow-up to his Murder on the Orient Express, which I think was a better film actually than this. But um, I did enjoy his version of the Orient Express, and uh, and I thought this was okay as well. I mean, certainly the original film with Peter Ustinov back in '78, they would have gone to Egypt. They would have filmed everything on location. Here, obviously, it, it, it's it's kind of it's modern filmmaking. It's all done in a studio in a big green box. Yeah, unfortunately. They, they don't need to do what the older filmmakers needed to do. But in a sense, I wish they kind of would, really. I mean, if you're going to spend all these kind of money in the films, why not try and kind of go on location? You know what I mean? So we're we're constantly being, you know, bombarded with scenes in front of the pyramids and on the, on the Nile. But of course, they're not. They're on a a boat that uh, they have made, but all the rest of it is all CGI'd. And one of the things about the film is that it's constantly showing us the beauty of Egypt, but you know it's not real. So, I mean, you know, the thing is, you know, we want to look at beauty. We, I think we want to look at great scenery. But if the scenery doesn't exist, um, then it, for me, it kind of undermines that. And there's a lot of that in this film, whereas I think the storyline is actually quite, if I have a criticism, the storyline actually seems to be quite kind of small. And um, and he spends an awful lot of time, you know, telling us how beautiful these beautiful people live. There's lots of champagne dinners. There's lots of kind of great food. And... The thing about it is that I, I would really rather not have seen all of that. You know, the film is quite long if they'd taken all of that out and just basically kind of concentrated on the mystery. And the thing is, even though I did see the original film, I didn't know who the murderer was. And now I'm useless at this kind of stuff. But I was able to detect who the murder was almost straight away. And because it was kind of clunkily directed it and directed. And that's the thing. I don't think it's as tight as the murder on the Orient Express. And um, I think that... You know, um, it could have done with that kind of more kind of tightly kind of directed kind of. There's there's some very very scenes and uh, that just seem seem to go nowhere. But certainly the cast I think is very very interesting. French and Saunders are, are in the movie, and they're both very very good. And it was great to see them. There's also a kind of a backstory about why he's got this crazy mustache, which is very very interesting. And also I watched this with the daughter, and uh, she really enjoyed Murder on the Orient Express, and she really liked this as well. And it's actually engineered her interest in Agatha Christie. Yeah. She now wants. She now wants to read Agatha Christie, and she wants to know more. Um, the film, though, um, even though it's not as successful as the previous one, there will be a third. I believe it'll be kind of. 
based in Venice, um, and it will rely on one of her kind of least known books. Um, so we can look forward to that. Look, if you love this kind of thing, if you love Knives Out, if you love Ag- Agatha Christie, you love this kind of uh, mystery kind of novel type movie, I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, and I certainly recommend it. But um, it's not as good as the previous one. And I wish it, it could have been and I wish it was better. Yeah, I always think when new movies like this come out after you've watched it, go back and look at the at the one, the original one, just for comparison. Yeah, and it's a lovely old-fashioned movie as well. Again, the whole family can watch this, you know. Yeah. The interesting, oh, the, 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 the Russell Brando, it's weird, isn't it? He, it's, it's, he looks great, but for the first thirty minutes, he doesn't talk at all in the film. It's very odd. There's and that's the thing. And I spent this a lot of this movie going. This is very odd, and there are a lot of very odd moments, um, which kind of te- kept bringing me out of the mystery, unfortunately. Um, but look, I'd certainly recommend it. Look, if you love old-fashioned kind of movie making, if you love this kind of stuff, then I think you'll enjoy it. Okay, mark it out of ten. I'd give that seven as well. Seven out of ten, that's Death on the Nile. It's interesting when you say they didn't go on location. I went to see, I'm a big fan of Downton Abbey, the, the new Downton Abbey uh, movie, which is shot obviously in, in Oxfordshire, but it's also shot in um, in France. There's a, there's a villa in France, but they went to France. Now I know this, it's slightly easier to just hop across and go to France from England, but it was lovely to see it actually set. They could have done it inside in a studio somewhere, but they didn't. They actually went to France to do it so and and, and, I, and that's that's good to hear you know but it's Netflix isn't it and Netflix have the money to, to do that even though they're putting up their prices um, but uh, <laughs> they have the money to do that and I think it's it's good and I think you know look, I've just seen the trailer to the new Jurassic World film and the opening scene is of um, Chris Pratt outside his um, his kind of wilderness hut and it's all CGI and why they didn't just go into a forest, you know, put yeah. there and film them in front of it, I don't know. They have a load of money to spend. But it's sometimes I think it's just the lazy way out. You know what I mean? And and that's what kind of annoys me about CGI. When CGI is done badly, um, it's kind of annoying. Yeah, that's because, yeah, it's, it, it's ruined it in some ways. And just very funny, and I meant to ask you this last week. Are you in any way following Johnny Depp and Amber Heard and their court case? Do you know, I'll tell you this right now. I am not. I, I have no interest. I was wondering. In two, I was wondering. No, I was wondering. Could, could you tell me if they are acting or not? Because I'm trying to find out which who's the better or the worse actor. Because definitely, there's 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 so much going on. I'm intrigued by it. All right, listen, Mark. Have a lovely week, and we'll chat to you next week. You too. Thanks a million. That's Mark Malone, our movie reviewer. Okay, gotta leave it there. Thanks to Bernie, uh, who produced Nick Richards with you for the afternoon. Back with you Monday at ten. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.